Welcome to the Way Community Podcast. Here you'll find various teachings and messages from within our community and also from guest speakers. If you're interested in finding out more about us, visit our website, the-way.com.au. We pray that this episode edifies you. Acts 1 verse 9 to 11. So this is the disciples at Jesus' ascension. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So Jesus is promised to come back in the clouds. So the second coming, as it's referred to as, is the event when Jesus comes back and comes to earth. That is not the event that is spoken about in all those 30-something other scriptures that we looked at last week. And why? because Jesus doesn't come to the earth. In this event, Jesus comes to the earth. So we're going to add that scripture reference in. Acts 3.21 For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. So the thing about the second coming is that it was foreseen by the prophets. The rapture of the church was not seen by the prophets. Why? Because it's for the church. And the church was an absolute mystery, totally hidden, totally hidden from all of the prophets that went before. And Paul goes to great lengths to point out that the prophets knew nothing about the church. So anything that has to do with the return of Christ that the prophets foresaw, by definition excludes it from being about us. Does that make sense? All right. So it is foreseen by the prophets. The second coming is foreseen by the prophets. We'll add that to our list. Now, 2 Thessalonians. So we're getting into Paul's writings now. And Paul was the the guy who had the single greatest revelation of what was actually going to happen for the church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, reading from verse 6. In his justice... So who are we talking about? God, Jesus, the Godhead, whoever it is. His justice is talking about the big fella. In his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. Whoa. Right? So there's a day coming where he doesn't come full of joy and peace and loving, he's coming back 
for payback. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for those, also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So on this day, there is punishment on the earth, a new point. And again, angels come with Jesus and the unrighteous are taken away. Not the righteous, but the unrighteous are taken away. So we can add punishment on the earth to our list and um, put the references for 2 Thessalonians 1.6 into the unrighteous being taken away. And the angels come with Jesus. And how many scriptures are we up to now? One, two, three, four, five that tell us that when Jesus comes back in this event, he comes back with angels. Hmm, very interesting. Who here thinks I'm torturing the scripture? Anyone here think I'm trying to make it say something that it doesn't say? I'm just, all I'm doing, I'm just showing you verses. I'm showing you, I'm giving you the opportunity to read what they have to say and we're just pulling out what we learn from those scriptures. Yes, I've categorized it all together for you to make it easy to paint the picture out, but I, I don't have to torture these scriptures at all. I don't, I don't have to try to make them say anything. I, we're just taking the plain meaning of what they're telling us. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 to 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to, happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So there, what we learn from this is that there is a day coming where God's glory is going to be revealed to all the world. Something that is, does not happen in the rapture. It tells us that that day will, be like a, will come upon them like a thief in the night. They won't be ready for it. They won't understand it. On this day, God comes in the fullness of his glory Everybody gets it. The light from east to west, the lightning from east to west, everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to understand exactly what's going on. So God's glory being revealed to the earth becomes a new point to add to our list. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 1 to 14. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. 
I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Saviour commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. That's nothing like the days we're living in now. Come on, people, that was a joke. (laughs) They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Don't you love this? Do we hear that today? Yeah, look, here's Peter. I love this. There are so many arguments that are floating around today that God shot down 2,000 years ago. (laughs) I love that. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. That's not everything just going on like normal. And and that's the point he's making. They forget that back in, in the days of Noah... That wasn't normal. That wasn't just everything just going on the same way. And by the same word, verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be, what's it say there? Destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake. He's being patient for the sake of my family. He's being patient for the sake of my friends. He's being patient for the sake of my workmates. Yes? He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, 
while you are waiting for these things to happen. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Wow. Peter. What a way to have an eternal perspective on things. You notice that when you read these epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, here we've got two of the greatest pillars of the church, Peter and Paul, and they're not telling us the seven greatest keys to living your best life now. They're, say, they're saying, look, all that's going to happen in here is struggle and trial and trauma, but don't worry about it. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the eternal things. All this stuff, it's all going to burn. Isn't that a great, you know, when, you, when you, your kid comes and puts his knee through the plaster, what's the matter? It's all going to burn. <laughs> Someone stacks into your car, writes it off. What's the matter? It's all going to burn anyway, right? It, it's, it, it's actually a great way to keep perspective on things. You, you scratched my fridge. What's the matter? It's all going to burn. <laughs> it's actually a really good way to keep your head in the game is to just look at it and go, it's all going to burn. Yep. So out of Peter's scripture, foreseen by the prophets, again, judgment, and again, righteousness, unrighteous, sorry, are taken away. So we're going to add judgment to the list. And I don't know why we're adding that now. I would have thought we'd had that earlier, but nonetheless. And uh, foreseen by the prophets and the unrighteous being taken away. One, two, three references telling us that the unrighteous are taken away at this event. Jude. Oh, you know, there's, there's another scripture for the unrighteous being taken away, which um, is two men walking up a hill, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be working at the mill. We, we covered that scripture at the end of last week's session. That's not about the rapture. That's about this event. It's about the unrighteous being removed from the earth. Why? Because God's righteous kingdom's being established and the unrighteous have no place in it. There's actually a, a, there's a scripture that says that in that day, Man will be as scarce as the gold of Ophir. Now, I don't know how scarce Ophir's gold is, but it must be pretty scarce for the prophet to use that as his reference point. So the, the millennial kingdom, when God establishes his kingdom on the earth, the earth is going to be a rather quiet place. In fact, it tells us that each man will have his own plot of land. 
And he's going to have to work it because there won't be any infrastructure. Not for a long time. There's not going to be planes flying. There's not going to be freeways and shipping containers. And it's going to take a while before all that stuff kicks back into gear. It'll happen, but it'll take a little while. And, and uh, should I do my larger course on the end times and we get talking about the millennium, we can actually map out how in the course of that next thousand years, the world's population will explode to uh, in excess of about 12 billion people. And yeah, it's really interesting. But at the start, it's gotta be quiet. <laughs> There's only got to be a few people there because the unrighteous are going to... You've got to remember, the righteous have been getting slaughtered. The unrighteous have also been getting slaughtered with this, this day of wrath, the, the time of Jacob's trouble, the seven years of tribulation, the, the time of great tribulation that Jesus spoke about. Um, I've estimated that in that seven years, something like seven-eighths of the world's population will have already died. So the, the world's population has, has probably already been reduced to a billion or less in the course of a seven, that seven-year period. I'm telling you, it will literally just be bodies lying in the streets if there still are streets standing in places. There'll just be bodies in the rubble. There'll be, no one will be burying anyone. It's just that the destruction will be so great. And then when the Lord comes and deals his final blow in this event that we're reading and the unrighteous are removed off the earth, the, the righteous ones that have survived like rats will come out they will be the, the as it says that the those Jews that are left will be gathered from the world and placed into Israel. But there, it's the world's going to be a very quiet place. It's just really interesting. That that's the event that we're talking about. Yeah, I know that this is this session is a real wrist slitter. It's not a real exciting. <laughs> uh, but, but that's the point. I want, you to, I want you to feel the gravity and the darkness that is this great event of the second coming of the Lord. It is, it is, a, it is the, the climax of a calamitous period of time where God in his anger is pouring out his wrath on the sin of the world and those who dwell in it. And, and this is the thing, folks. The, 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 the hope is in this is that we are not earth dwellers. And that's the whole point. This is what, what um, Revelation chapter 3, the, the Philadelphian church is saying, I'm going to save you from that day when all this wrath is poured out on all the world. Because we do not belong to this world. Therefore, we are not partakers of the wrath 
that will be poured out on it. All right, let's look at Jude. Man, who's read Jude lately? It's one of those, it's only a tiny little book. It's like if you feel like watching a sci-fi movie or something like that, instead, go read Jude, right? It is one freaky, freaky little book. It's only one chapter. But <coughs> if, they made a, if they made a movie just on playing out what's written in Jude, freak your mind. Okay, Enoch, see? <laughs> Here we go. Let's just throw Enoch into the mix, right? Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, and I want you to notice something. This quote is not coming from Genesis. It's not, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, actually, it's actually a quotation from the book of Enoch. There's another interesting book to read. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to, ju to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's what he's coming for. <laughs> so what do we learn from Jude? That angels come with Jesus. More judgment, more punishment. So we'll, we can add in punishment now to, to the list as well. Well, we've got that earlier, actually. Punishment on the earth. Revelation 1.7. So you're all going, yes, Revelation. He's getting to the end. Revelation's a big book. Um, <laughs> look, here he comes. 1.7. Look, here he comes with the, with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and Amen. So again, the nations mourn. Everyone's going to see it when he comes on the clouds, but it is not a joyful occasion. This is the final judgment that everybody knows is coming and they're going to chew their tongues, they're going to gnash their teeth, they're going to cry out for the rocks to fall on them because they know that the end is here. So we, we can add in those scripture references, Revelation 1-7. Go to chapter 19 of Revelation, verses 11 to chapter 20, verse 6. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Wow. Who is this writer? His, flame, his eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. 
a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. This is Jesus coming to wage a righteous war with eyes like fire and his robe dripping with blood. That's a very different picture of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want to meet Jesus when he's in this mood. You're hearing what I'm saying? He's not, when he comes like this, he's not coming for his righteous ones. When, when he comes like this, he is coming in anger and in war. And it said, and, and this isn't the only place it says it. I think it's in Isaiah. It says, who is this who comes up out of Bosra with his robes dripping with blood? I I alone, says the Lord, have trodden out the winepress of the peoples of the nations. And he says, I am going to kill them. I am going to destroy them. My robes will be splattered with the blood of those who have stood against me. It's a really different picture, isn't it? So, we find in this scripture, Jesus judges the nations and wages a righteous war. Let's continue to read on. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. And of course, everyone says, well, that's the church. Remember what I said, all those other scriptures that said that who comes with Jesus on this day? Angels. So now, the armies of heaven. Now, there's a phrase. What scripture jumps to mind when you hear the armies of heaven? There's a story in the Old Testament. Story in the Old Testament where someone saw the armies of heaven. He asked for his servant's eyes that's right. Ask for his, his um, servant's eyes to be open so he could see that those who are for us are far greater than those who are against us. The armies of heaven, angels. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. <laughs> he will rule them with an iron rod he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do not be mistaken. This is Jesus. So from this we, we learn angels come with him. Again, the dominance of his kingdom being established and Jesus' sovereignty being declared. 
reading on, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet that God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of the kings and generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. So Jesus fights against the nations and sounds like he wins. Reading on, verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. In other words, he kills them with a word. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Thank you for the gruesome afterthought. So the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire in this event. Verse 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, just in case you're not sure who we're talking about here, and bound him in, change, in chains for a thousand years. Um, if all Bible prophecy has been fulfilled, then the devil's chain is far too long. Because this tells me that he's been bound and chained up for a thousand years. The fact that we still see him at work tells me that this event hasn't happened yet. That's just the point I'm trying to make. Verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Yes, I know that you want to know why he must be released for a little while, but that's a whole other conversation. We'll have another time. So another thing we learned from this is that at the second coming, Satan is bound for a thousand years. Reading on, verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, which means that they must have been confronted with it, right? 
It's no use putting it there unless they were confronted with having to do that. Think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Okay. Nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. Yes, I know you haven't accepted the mark of the beast on your forehead or hands, but you haven't been confronted with having to do that. They, I want you to see this, they all came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Who reigned with Christ for a thousand years? Those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus, who had not worshipped the beast or his statue and had not taken the mark of, on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Is that clear? Yeah? Give me an affirming noise or a negative noise. That is clear, yes? Am I torturing this scripture? As you can see, I'm doing no gymnastics here. I'm just reading what it says. Who comes to life and reigns with Christ for a thousand years? Those who have been beheaded for their faith, who had not worshipped the beast and had not taken his mark. It clearly and absolutely and exclusively states it. Exclusively. Verse 5. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. But, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. So, Saints martyred during the tribulation for not worshipping the beast come to life and reign for the thousand years. That's not you and me. It's funny, every time I point this out, people go, but what happens to me then? If I don't get to come back to the earth and reign with Christ for a thousand years, where's my reward? Well, it's actually very simple. It's all the wonderful things that Paul promised that you were going to get. That you would be seated at the right hand of the Father. That you would be a co-heir with Christ Jesus. That you would be seated with him in heavenly places. Don't worry. You get your reward. And the great thing about it is it's not here on earth, separated from God the Father, you are with him, bound to him, intimate with him. It's actually a much better reward. You see, everything Paul's trying to tell you is stop worrying about this place. Just let it go. You don't belong here. It's not important to you. It's not, it's not your reward. God has got something far greater. So throw off everything that's holding you back and press on for the mark of the 
high calling. Go after that. We are strangers and aliens in a foreign land. This is foreign, right? If this is a foreign land, why would we be coming back to it? It is not our home. It is not our, our, our destination. Our destination is with God. And you say, but, but isn't Jesus coming back to reign on the earth? If we're meant to be with Jesus, then don't we come back and reign on the earth? That's a subject for a whole other conversation that will take us about, I think, from memory, three nights. <laughs> um, all right, so there's a whole bunch of things that we've learned from that scripture, and there it is on the, on the list being added to the, the equation. The Antichrist and the false prophet being thrown in the lake of fire, Satan being bound for a thousand years, and the tribulation saints coming to life and reigning with him. Revelation 22.12. I'm running out of Bible, people. Mustn't be too much left. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Mm. That's, that's actually not a nice sounding scripture. Judgment, punishment. We'll add that to the list. So now that I've thoroughly taken the wind out of your sails and I've left you all sitting here morbid and is, I think someone might be crying. <laughs> it's, this, this is the day of the Lord. This is the second coming. This is, you know, where there was that old song we used to sing, every eye shall see. Every heart will know, every knee shall bow. We see it like it's a beautiful song, the beautiful day when Jesus returns. Yeah, when he comes with eyes of fire, his, his robes splattered with blood as he kills and destroys all those with the fullness of the wrath of God who have stood again. Every knee shall bow. Yeah, it's... It is a dark, dark day. It says the sun and the moon are darkened. It is, it is the, the horrendous, calamitous end to a time of wrath poured out on the earth where the full judgment against the rebellious and sinful people who dwell on the earth, who will not yield to God, receive their just reward. And then he says, now we're going to do it right. And he establishes his dominion, his kingdom on the earth, and you will do it my way with a rod of iron, and every knee will bow 
through the crush of a rod on their shoulder. And every tongue will confess through gritted teeth that Jesus is Lord, whether they want to or not. And if you don't, then there will be no rain on your land. You will have famine for a year until you yield and come and bring your offering to the altar. And for a thousand years, that's how the world will be. It's a a very different... Yes, the world will be perfect. It will be amazing. It says that if someone dies at 100, they'll be considered a child. Right? It's, it will be beautiful. It will be restored. It will be run with justice. It will be an amazing place. But it will be under the rod of iron. You will not have the freedom to live just the way you want to. You will bow to Jesus. So it's... The the second coming is going to make the world an amazing place, but there will be people who will be gnawing their tongues and grinding their teeth under the the weight of um, an, uh, an unexpressed rebellion to God. And the day will come when they will get their chance. Oh, there will be plenty of people who joyfully love their king, and willingly serve him. There will be those. But, but sin there is, while the, the Satan will not be there to, to tempt people, the rebellion in the heart of man will still be present. So it's going to be a very interesting time. So what we're going to do next week is we are going to have a look at these two great pillars of eschatological events, the rapture and the second coming. We're going to put them up against each other. Head to head, we're going to actually outline point by point how and why these events are different. And then basically I'm going to give you the, the task, your lifetime task is to prove me wrong on this. And I think you'll find great difficulty to do so. Why this is so important is if you do not understand the vast difference between these two events, you will struggle to be able to understand God's calendar for future history. And that's why this is so important to understand. So I urge you to come back next week and we're going to have a look together at 16 key differences between the rapture and the second coming. Bless you. We'll see you next week.